0: The Daily Rios, episode 352 for Thursday, September 8th, 2016. Happy 50th, Star Trek. Space, a final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five year mission. To explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Today marks the official 50th anniversary of the first aired episode of Star Trek The Original Series. Much of that original series went unwatched by me as a kid. The first Star Trek movie I saw in the theaters was Voyage Home, and I'm pretty sure I went along with friends who were bigger Trek fans than I was at the time. Something about the Earth setting of that movie was a little bit off-putting to me. You know, I sort of felt like spaceships and sci-fi belonged in space. Now, obviously, uh, I would change my mind uh, soon after. My Star Trek began in September 87 with The Next Generation. I can remember news reporters sitting in with a group of Star Trek fans before and maybe after watching that first episode. It seemed like an important event, and I was at a perfect age, just shy of 15 years old, to be captured by its newness and by the you know hype surrounding this new series that was coming you know Star Trek back on TV next generation gave me a chance to get into the Star Trek mythos and the Star Trek history and lore and i quickly became a fan i think if i look back and go over all of the sci-fi stuff that I watched or read as a kid, it's no wonder that Star Trek appeals to me more than other franchises. Shows like Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers, Star Blazers, watching Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy on PBS, or uh, movies like Close Encounters of the Third Kind that was played on HBO over and over again, Flash Gordon, The Black Hole. I was just doing a purge in my room for... uh, a late summer cleaning of my room and um, came across an old Disney black hole picture book that I pulled out and I said, oh, I got to read this again. And then there were books like the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov, comics like Atari Force and a Mega Man. I didn't see Star Wars in the movie theaters. I'm not necessarily a Star Wars kid. I may have seen Return of the Jedi, but it doesn't resonate as strongly as watching that first Next Generation episode. And certainly thereafter, making sure to go to the movie theaters for things like The Undiscovered Country, dragging my younger sister with me to see Generations, and then eventually just going to see Star Trek either alone or with whomever, and not missing any of the sequels. There's a certain kind of sci-fi that I just find myself attracted to. Um... Strongly. I mean, I'll go either way. Hard sci-fi, sci-fi, sci- uh, science fantasy, space opera, space fantasy, etc. I was the geek in the family for watching Star Trek Next Generation. My cousin, when we were younger, was the ultimate Star Wars fanatic, with all the toys and such. Uh, and while I had a few action figures and a record and one Millennium Falcon tiny little ship, I had no Star Trek toys... But that's okay, because Star Trek was on. It was on TV every week for me to watch. And then, of course, with Next Generation came DS9, and then Voyager, and yes, even Enterprise. I have not seen every episode of all of those seasons. And, of course, here years later, with three new movies already out, and a TV series on the horizon, it's a good time to be a Star Trek fan. I certainly can't forget the comics or the novels like Reunion and Imzadi, Federation. I've always wanted to read Peter David's New Frontier series just because he used uh, the character of Shelby from all the Borg episodes. And then, of course, there, there are even fan films. Prelude to Axenar, I just watched. It's pretty damn good featuring one of my favorite original series characters, Garth of Inzar. I may not have been a fan of the original series as a kid, but as I've mentioned many times before, I did go back and finally watch all of the original series, and what a journey that was. I can see why, as a kid of the 70s and 80s, why it didn't appeal to me. Because an, because as an adult, I ate it up. Flaws and all. Obviously, that's not everyone's experience. I think just perhaps as a kid, it was too talky to me which is funny because I'm surprised at how much action there can be in an episode. And I find that, uh, the talky nature of sci-fi is what appeals to me. Like, how could I have read foundation, which is all talk, all the events happen off the page. And yet I didn't get into star Trek. So, um, I think watching next gen and watching all the other series, um, And just finally realizing, okay, I need to go back and watch the original series. I brought with it a lot of Star Trek history already and some knowledge. So to see it all unfold where it began made it fun. So that's why the series, I think, um, I was able to sort of absorb it and really appreciate it for what it is, uh, for what it was. And, you know, there are a lot of episodes I really, really liked. So sure, my sci-fi is true sci-fi with a mixture of the opera or fantasy thrown in, and while I certainly enjoy the fantastical space opera stuff, I'll always gravitate to the headier, harder sci-fi storytelling approach. Even if they don't always succeed in that goal, or just use that as a starting point to really just make an action-oriented film, you know, and that's fine too. So recently, movies like Primer and Sunshine, Interstellar, The First Time I Ever Saw 2001 Way Back, or Moon, Looper, so many others that uh, I either need to see, you know, certainly if you have any recommendations, let me know, or that I have seen and I'm just forgetting about. So by the time I uh, watched Star Trek The Motion Picture just uh, in the last two weeks, I realized, you know, having having seen the original series, thinking about sci-fi, that that motion picture, it is the core of what Star Trek was. Um, it's a talky movie. It's a slower movie, but it does have action. It has um, the human condition in all its forms. I, I dug it. I thought it was really great. And um, I think I read somewhere that it was the last Star Trek movie... Or the last Star Trek property project, I should say, that um, kind of existed within that framework of what the original series was, where it was supposed to be an anthology series and where it was episodic, not continuing. And then, of course, obviously with three, four, and then next gen and all those movies, you know, eventually you know, things start to get um, more about the Star Trek uh, mythology and less about the sci-fi aspects, the, the the human conditions stuff, even though that was all mixed in there. So anyway, I'm, I'm sort of generalizing. But anyway, happy 50th Star Trek. Whatever you put out, I will be watching. <laughs> As I mentioned in a previous Daily Rios episode, episode 347, I talked about the original series and I rattled off my top 10 favorite episodes. So why not continue the theme for Star Trek 50th anniversary, this time with the animated series? Now, there were only 22 episodes of the filmation series that that starred all of the original cast, but Walter uh, Koenig, uh, who played Chekhov. And these episodes apparently out of canon, in canon, I mean, it's an argument to this day, these episodes managed to make some major contributions to the Star Trek mythos, including the revelation that the T in James T. Kirk stands for Tiberius. It was the first time the name was actually aired on a Star Trek-related show. And then there was the revelation of Spock's mother's maiden name of Grayson, Amanda Grayson, or the first time we see a holodeck. And there are a few others as well, which uh, you know I might include in my list. So while there is a debate about whether to keep the series in canon or not, watching the animation episodes so closely after finishing up the original series, you really could feel that they were keeping the torch alive. I mean, for all they knew, this was it. Even though in the background Roddenberry was always trying to get more Star Trek, those actors... They might have felt like this was it for them, so I have to imagine that people who were watching it firsthand, they must have felt like this was official and that it was canon. You know, that debate probably didn't um, didn't come out until later. And I think even it was Gene Roddenberry who was the one who sort of said, "Ah, the animation, we're not going to count that." I have to definitely give a shout out to the original cast for transitioning into voice acting really well. They don't miss a beat from how they would have portrayed their characters if they were standing in front of a camera, and but now they're here behind a mic. You have James Doohan doing multiple character voices, and he's usually the only one that I can't discern. Nichelle Nichols, Major Barrett, even George Takei, they do multiple voices as well, but you can usually tell it's them. And then of course Shatner, uh, he really is the only one that I felt was way too subdued. Considering the energy that he gives Kirk in the original series, uh, he, f- he truly feels like he's just reading it. And I love how many times he says sabotage in the entire uh, animation series. So having the original cast definitely helped my overall enjoyment of the animated series, even though with 22 episodes, it was kind of still hard to pick my top five. And in my list, you're going to find out pretty quickly that the episodes that have the most Star Trek stuff in them, those are the ones that I enjoy the most uh, because it's information that carries elsewhere into the Star Trek larger universe. If you're familiar with the cartoons, I doubt that this is a surprise, so here we go in no particular order. We start with the Lorelei signal. The Enterprise is drawn to a planet populated solely by women who dominate the male crew members, to the point where Uhura must uh, gather the women, uh, assume command, gather the women, and rescue them. (laughs) And it's that facet that really kind of made this episode the most fun for me, the women of the Enterprise coming to the rescue and um, taking charge and showing that, uh, just like in the original series, that they were just as capable as the men in the series. It's just one small example of the kind of things that the animation series did that the original series uh, either didn't have the budget for or didn't want to attempt just yet. You'll find uh, other examples of that, things that uh, you kind of stop and go, yeah, why didn't they do that in the original series? Okay, then we have the episode Yesteryear. This is where Spock travels back in time to prevent his own demise during his youth on Vulcan. So we have the Guardian of Forever back again, randomly. And we have Spock's past, and we have Sarek, uh, we have, uh, you know, changing timelines, and in Spock's place in uh, on the Enterprise is now an Andorian, and because this episode was written by DC Fontana, who was part of the original series, this episode has a lot of Spock history and Spock past that exists to this day. Next up, we have the Counterclock Incident. This is when the Enterprise enters a negative universe and it's sort of being, you know, it's sort of pulled into a negative universe and they have to find a way through the means of uh, connecting a Nova star with a star that's being born and using that energy to travel back to their universe. It also features, for the first time, former. Enterprise Captain, the first Enterprise Captain, Robert April and his wife, Sarah. It's the final episode of the animated series. It's the final one that was aired, and I dug it because what a huge bit of information it gives to the Star Trek universe in the form of Robert April. He even talks about how he was present when uh, the Enterprise was being built at the San Francisco Navy Yards. Um, And the ending has... There are some really... Because it's the last episode, there there are some quotes that have uh, a lot of metatextual stuff to it. For instance, his wife Sarah has this uh, short-lived flower that when they go into the negative universe, uh, instead of dying, you know, goes back to being its healthy self again. And she says, their trip into the negative uni- universe gave the flower a second life. And certainly the animated series gave... All the actors and all the creators, and Star Trek as a franchise, it gave it a second life. So I smiled a lot when I heard a lot of those kind of metatextual comments. And then finally, uh, oh no, this is uh, number four. We have the time trap. The Enterprise becomes trapped in the Delta Triangle, an area of space where many starships have gone missing. To make matters worse... The ship also has to defend itself from the Klothos, a Klingon vessel commanded by Commander Kor. And I always liked Commander Kor, seeing his portrayal as the first Klingon of the Star Trek universe. Um, just kind of uh, really endeared me to him, especially the way he played it. So uh, you know, always a treat when you see uh, Kor back again. This is also the episode that has a council in that uh, little pocket universe that includes a, an Orion woman, a Vulcan, a Klingon, an Andorian, uh, a Falosian, uh, like a Tellarite, a whole bunch of a Gorn, <laughs> a whole bunch of uh, aliens that we've either seen or um, in the original series or in the animated series. Although I thought the Vulcan was a Romulan, but no, I guess I guess not. No. I'm I don't remember these episodes well. You know, as I said, picking five of my favorites was a harder task than I realized. Uh, I also, this is one of those episodes that again confirmed the notion that comic creators growing up at this time, and certainly John Byrne, used a lot of the Star Trek stuff in their comics. Right? They specifically called this other universe a pocket universe, and that's exactly what John Byrne calls. The universe that the Time Trapper creates for Superboy post-crisis so that the Legion can exist. So, uh, you know, every time they go back into the past to see Superboy or every time Superboy went to the future, they were traveling back and forth from this pocket universe that was saved by the Time Trapper from the crisis as a way to preserve uh, an exact moment of time. So that he could muck around with the Legion of Superheroes before they realized, oh, there never was a superboy, etc., etc. It's very confusing. So, yeah, Pocket Universe, that's where it comes from. And then finally, we have the Jihad. The Vidala, the oldest known spacefaring race, summon Kirk and Spock to recover the soul of the score, a stolen religious artifact that has the potential to ignite a holy war across the galaxy. Most of the reason why I like this one is because it has a very Mission Impossible feel where this group of aliens gather together to go on this mission. Uh, they all have their individual skills, which is why they were chosen. It's like Mission Impossible. It's like the Suicide Squad. It's, it's a fun episode to me, even if it doesn't necessarily always make sense. Um, and I think it's because, again, it kind of opens up the Star Trek universe, even though a lot of these aliens and characters we never really see again. But, uh, yeah, I like this one. I like this one a lot, actually. So there you go. That is my top five uh, Star Trek animated series episodes list. Um, they're not all great. I'm telling you, watching some of those animated series. The one by Larry Niven, you know, the, the sci-fi author Larry Niven, I had to rewind multiple times. I could not follow it. It's the one with the gun, the ultimate gun that can do a whole bunch of things. It's, it's so bizarre. That one definitely is not one of my favorites. So if you've seen the animated series, let me know what episodes you enjoy. And if you're a fan of Star Trek, how did you celebrate the 50th anniversary, if you did at all? And as I said, I'm certainly looking forward to Star Trek Discovery. Discovery. We get new tidbits of information every day about it. As always, you can reach me by Peter at TheDailyRios.com or follow me on Twitter, Peter J. Rios, or leave a comment on the website, TheDailyRios.com. This has been episode 352 for Thursday, September 8th, 2016. Live long and podcast. now. live long and prosper. Bye.